Hello everyone and welcome to the Scottish Games Network podcast. This is Andrew speaking and I'm here to introduce the first in what is the new format for the SGN pod. So if you listened to last week's episode, you'll remember that we talked about how we want to focus more on the kind of one-on-one in-depth interviews with people in the Scottish games industry, which we've done a few of before, but they're going to be our focus now going forward. And so this is the first of these, and it comes courtesy of the newest member of the SGN team, Sebastian Mackay. So Seb, uh, who you'll also remember from last week's podcast, is the host of the Scottish Business Podcast. And as part of that podcast, he's interviewed a few really interesting, um, informative people from the Scottish games industry, and also some guy called Brian Baglow. But uh, he's kindly agreed to let us rerun those episodes as part of SGN, which is great because they're just fantastic conversations and obviously really relevant to everyone in the Scottish games industry. And this is the first of those episodes. So Seb interviewed Colin McDonald, who is the commercial director at Rivet Games. Now, Rivet Games are a Sterling-based company. And they work on expansions for the game's Train Simulator and Train Sim World. Uh, And those kind of expansions include uh, a recent adaption to Train Sim World 2 based on the island line in the Isle of Wight, which is this beautiful kind of coastal route that you can now enjoy in its entirety in Train Sim World 2. Obviously, that's a very niche kind of company. And uh, Colin talks about that in this interview in a very interesting way. And you may also recognise Colin as the main man behind Games Jobs Live, which is basically the place you want to go if you're looking for who's hiring across the UK games industry and also some uh, helpful info if you are a graduate or someone trying to break into the games industry. He's done some great interviews with uh, people and companies across the UK. So check out that stuff at gamesjobs.live. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, This is Seb's conversation with Colin McDonald of Rivet Games. Hello. Hey, Colin, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. It's been a weird day, but it's been pretty good. Well, I think um, I'm finding most days a little bit weird, but um, I'm not sure I'll ever get used to that. Yeah, I feel like the novelty of this this certain unspeakable thing has kind of well and truly worn off at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of go through highs and lows of, of um, oh, well, we'll just get on with it with, oh, Christ, I'm just so bored of it all. But um, we will get there. We will get there eventually. <laughs> you, know, you know what's been breaking it up for me really well has been trips through the incredibly scenic island of Tsushima um, via Ghost Ooh. of Tsushima. What have you been playing at the moment? Ah, so, yeah, that, that, that's not been on the list. Um, I've actually not. It's so good. I, I, yeah, everyone everyone I know keeps raving about it. Um, I, I've not actually managed to play much the last month. I did really well the first sort of six months of lockdown. I played through so many games I've been meaning to get through for ages. And then um, I got cyberpunk in december along with mm-hmm. half the planet and but i'm on a, an original playstation 4 and it was just so buggy uh-huh, i've just not i've not gone back to it and it's also stopped me picking anything else up because i kind of feel like i want to play that next but it's not good enough to play yet so i'm kind of 
I'm hoping that the, the, the I mean, I know it's, there's been a bunch of patches, mm. so I'm maybe trying to pick it up again because that's kind of uh, things are just busy, but also I, I, I'm you that seems to be my, my excuse for <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Else but no, before that, it was great, I was getting through. Yakuza and Final Fantasy and Oh, I and, haven't played Final uh, Fantasy yet. So I'm I'm not a big RPG person and um I just kind of felt I, I mean it was partly a professional interest. I'm like, oh crap, I've never played a Final Fantasy. I, mm-hmm. I, I should get this one. And and it was amazing. I mean it's not exactly my cup of tea, but it was so beautiful. Um yeah, I, I was quite taken with it. I would play the next one. I, I'm not going to suddenly become a Final Fantasy fan, but yeah. I, I would happily play more sometimes. Yeah, um, I get that. But yeah, it's the it's the Yakuza games. I, I've played two or three of them since mm-hmm. lockdown, and somehow they'd never been on my radar before. And they're kind of ridiculous, and they're old-fashioned and sexist and whatever but they're also just stupid and fun so uh, they've been good and I think Tsushima is kind of you know also excessively Japanese but in a more Mm. um, not sedate's the wrong word but just not as trashy a way so I I need to look at Tsushima as well yeah, Tsushima's, I mean, I've spent a lot of time chasing foxes and golden birds, you know, like, like gen- generally I'm, I am the kind of guy that would play through side quests. I stayed away from open world for a while. I tried the Witcher and I was like, there's way too much going on. Yeah. Like yeah, I just, too. I'm overwhelmed. So I just played games that were like, put me well and truly on the rails, you know? Um, but Tsushima rather has been nice, just like, oh, I can't really go outside. The weather's a bit shit. But it's really beautiful all the time in the in this game. Yeah. So it's it's been doing that. I've always wanted to be a Final Fantasy fan. Mm. I, I feel like I should like it more than I like it. That's my mm. my guilty my guilty truth. Um, I played Final Fantasy VIII on the PlayStation One when they came out. There were like eight discs. Do you remember that? And that's yeah, oh my yeah, god. Yeah. And and then I re-downloaded the the remastered version, and I was playing it on my Switch, and I was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> like this was not what I imagined when I bought remastered." Um, but seven is definitely on the list. It's just I'm so far behind when it comes to games, yeah. like ridiculously yeah. far behind. Yeah, um, no, I was. I've got. A, I've got like we all do. I've got a stack of oh, these. This is my next to playlist. Yeah. Some of them are now going back years. I've got. Like a Batman game, I've got the Spider Man game. And, oh, dude, Spider Man is so good. Yeah, I know, I know. I just, I, I played it for half an hour. I'm like, okay, right, I'll come back to this. Not yet. I will. I will. Yeah. The the joy for me with Cyberpunk, and I haven't played it, is that it was kind of such a disaster that I can wait for a year and buy it, and it'll be perfect. Yeah. And I feel way less pressure now because of it. Yeah, my mistake is that I've already bought it, so it's yeah. gonna just sit <laughs> you just there. put it in a box for a year. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, it was it. supposed to be good, right? We weren't, we weren't to know. Yeah, well, and the, the, I mean, I think there's a lot to love about it. So, and I, I mean, to be honest, I can live with a lot of bugs. It was the fact that it, for me, it crashed every twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and that's just gonna annoy the hell out of me. So, as long as they sort that then you know the other things about floating heads or whatever it was fine i'll I'll play through it living with that but yeah there's this excellent 
excellent bug in um, one of the Need for Speed games. And if you hit a wall going fast enough, you just go straight into the abyss and you just right. float in the abyss and things slowly start to dematerialize around you until you're right. just a driver with a helmet sitting in nothing. And it's excellent. fucking fantastic. It's, it's the excellent. coolest little thing. Um, <laughs> anyway. Colin, thank you so much for coming and hanging out on this episode of the podcast. It's really cool to have you on and to be talking partly about Rivet Games, but also about the whole Scottish industry, which I knew a little bit about before um, getting here and getting into this, but I'm slowly learning so much more. So thank you. No, not at all. Great to be here. So Rivet Games, we talked about this a little bit over email. You do train simulators, um, very niche. So talk me through that because I mean, like the games industry, I think regardless of how you look at it, it's huge, right? If we go from Candy Crush to triple A's to like literally everything in between, but what's it like building a niche out for yourself in an industry doing something like, you know, train simulators and, and those sort of simulation style games? Uh, I, I mean, it's like anything, it's got its pros and cons. That, I mean, I've spent, I've been in the industry about 30 years, mm -hmm. and most of that has been spent doing, you know, fairly stereotypical games for, for your, your stereotypical audience. Um, and, you know, when Rivet Games was, was set up, it was focused on, you know, it's not, it's not making the train simulator game itself. It's even more niche than that. It's just making the uh, additional add-on content. So they'll make additional trains, additional routes. So they'll model like, you know, an 80 kilometer section of, of Switzerland. So every, every bridge, every, every iconic building, every, you know, river that you would, you would pass in real life on that route, they'll model all of that um so that you can drive along that and experience you know what it, what it's like to, to drive along that route in real life and you know when you make content like that it's never going to sell millions of copies you, you know that's always the dream make a game and at the back of your mind going oh maybe this can be the next minecraft and what's amazing about the industry is that yes it's possible you know it, someone could have the next flappy bird someone could have the next minecraft um, you know, because none of those were were in the scheme of things that that big an undertaking mm. um, when they were originally developed. However, your chances of seeing that level of success they're not even a million to one. I mean, you know, the, the games industry is like any other entertainment industry, like you know, music or books or TV. That largely a hit-driven industry. A lot of things lose money, unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of us are still motivated by, you know, trying to trying to hit the top of the charts to, to see that big success. So it's still worthwhile doing in many respects. What Rivet are doing in terms of the train simulator content is something that, like I say, it will never sell millions of copies, but because everything they do is based on something in the real world, it's a real route, it's a real train, there are correspondingly real people that know that that have traveled on it that have an ambition to travel on it so they will always sell thousands of copies mm -hmm. so it, it's just an interesting sort of sector or within the wider games industry that is just a bit more sustainable a little bit less exciting i guess if you're used to um you, you know working on on games that aspire to be big blockbuster games but it's also just a bit more predictable that you can make a, a train, you know you'll sell a couple of thousand copies, you know you'll stay in business, and you know what? That counts for a lot. 
How did you come into this niche in particular? Like, you are you a train enthusiast, or did you fall into it in a sort of different way? Hey, man, I, I fucking uh, love trains. Like, I was supposed to be in Europe now, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I I fell into it. I'm not I'm not a train person at all. I mean, I I, I do love trains. I, you know, one of my things I like holidays to to weird and exotic places. And one of my things, for no reason I can put a name on, has always been oh, I've got to take a train here because it's always just a unique experience. So I've been on, yeah. you know, trains in, in Mexico and Cuba and Japan and China and whatever, you know, all sorts of places, Egypt and everything, amazing train journeys. But no, this was um, a chap called Tim Gatland was one of the the, um, the guys that set up what's now called Dovetail Games who make the train simulator games. So Tim's based up here in, in Scotland. Um, and although... Dovetail Games that make Train Simulator ended up being based down in um, Kent. They kept an office up here that Tim ran um, and ultimately uh, ran it for 10 years very successfully. And then a couple of years ago, he basically did a, a management buyout. Um, so um, a, a bunch of the, the staff that were with Dovetail Games just based up here moved over to this new company. Um, so it was the same people doing the same things for the same platform, just under a different brand. You know, it's a different company. So we're now partnered with Dovetail. We're no longer part of them, but we're partnered with them. Um, um, but because it was a, a new company, Tim realized he needed uh, a bit of help in a, in a couple of different regards. So while he runs the company, he brought in me as a commercial director and someone else as a, as a development director um, to, to help get the business off the ground and just start looking at all the other things that we need to do now that we're a, an independent company. So I'm, I'm learning a bit about trains, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm not a, a train buff for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, mo mostly in the, I guess, business, business side of it, right? Yeah. Because we were talking, you you mentioned before about the difference between sort of selling thousands of games and selling millions of games. And I think that if you're on the outside of the industry and you're looking at people still tend to think of it as like something for kids, right? Or something for, you know, that, that's kind of low value throwaway entertainment, perhaps not realizing it's the biggest entertainment industry with its sheer sort of size is that does that make it easier to dig out a niche i mean i'm thinking in particular if you look at films you have art, art house cinema but they're only so scalable right whereas games you've got app stores and all those kinds of things steam to to get it out there like how much does the scale of the industry help people like you survive oh oh massively yeah because if you go back 20 years i mean we were pretty much just making stereotypical games for stereotypical gamers you know most things had guns most things had cars you, you know um and then for, for me the tipping point there was a couple of tipping points one was um um when nintendo came along with the wii mm -hmm. that was you know s such a, a dramatic opening of the audience i mean you, you know you go back to you know the playstation sort of made gaming cool you know, the very first PlayStation uh, with Wipeout and everything, and that opened it up. But it, it wasn't a dramatically different audience. When the Nintendo Wii came along, suddenly, you know, you then had the, you know, from two-year-olds to 92-year-olds, you know, being actual gamers, you know? Um, and so to me, that was the first sort of pivot point. And then the second was... 
uh, with mobile coming along that when everyone's got a smartphone in their pocket, hmm. you know, an Angry Birds came along 12 years ago or however long it is now. Um, and again, everyone's looking for something to, to while away a few minutes while they're waiting for a, a, a bus or they're on the loo or whatever it is. And that massively broadened the, the, the audience. And with a bigger, broader audience, there is just going to be more, more niches. And these days, instead of, you know, SEO being important on the, on the web, mm. um, now if you're launching a game, you need to think about your, 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 your search optimization on, on the app stores, on the Steam store, even on the, you know, the Nintendo Switch store and everything. You need to be thinking really carefully about what you, what you call your game, what your keywords are, so that your, your audience, however niche it is, can find you. Because, yeah, we're now at the point where there's billions of gamers. doesn't matter what your niche is, there will be people that are interested in, in, in what you're doing. But you've still got to work hard to make it possible for them to find you. Hmm. Can we dig into that a little bit? Because I, I, I mean, I myself don't often think of games having to have SEO positive titles right and i understand that that works differently for different parts of the industry if you've got a legacy game like pokemon you don't really need it final fantasy like we were talking about before but yeah from an indie level you know is there a certain idea of balancing what is going to be good in terms of seo and how you even begin to have that conversation versus that kind of i don't want to say artistic integrity and make it sort of sound like more than it is but that but being able to call your game what you want to call it absolutely yeah and, and it's getting that balance that's absolutely key um but yeah you can you know you can make the best game in the world but if you've made something that's unmarketable and unfindable even to someone that would otherwise love it, it, it it's not going to sell you're not going to make enough to, to to do a sequel to even stay in business so you absolutely have to get that balance and I, I mean it's an it's an art and a science in itself that you, you know the, the first time anyone launches a a new game on the app store they go into the keywords and go oh what keywords do I want to rank for so they put in words like game and fun without thinking yeah it, the only point in ranking for a keyword is if you come in the top what Three, ten, something like mm. that. I'm now competing against however many million other games with the words game and fun in them. What are the chances of me being in the top ten? Zero. Um, so instead, you've got to go in and go, okay, which keywords am I going to rank for? Mm. Um, and it's and it's a case of just getting the balance. Well, one one game that um, it worked really well for me on. I was at um, Channel Four for a number of years. I was their games commissioner. So I was looking to commission games or in different TV shows. And in 2016, we had a, a show called Eden, which was about um, taking people out of, out of uh, mainstream life, dumping them on a, a remote Scottish island for a year and just seeing how they got on with, you know, sort of starting again was the, was, was the catchphrase. Um, and this was right after the Brexit vote. So, you know, the thought of getting away from it all and starting again was forefront in everyone's mind. And just by sheer chance of timing, my game launched uh, just a, a month or two after the Brexit vote. Mm -hmm. So I was doing all my, my, my um, it's ASO, App Store Optimization, is kind of the, the, the mobile equivalent of, of SEO. I was doing the ASO and realized that 
there wasn't a single game out there that used Brexit as a keyword. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this fits. I mean, your key, you know, it has to it has to fit the game. You can't just pick a, a sort of sensationalist word. Um, so this fits. And for about a year, if you put in Brexit game, this game Eden was was the number one result round round the world. You know, so it was it was relevant, but it was um, appropriate to the game as well. And, and this is, in a nutshell, it's kind of the biggest challenge of the industry that we have, and, and particularly in Scotland, I think we we have amazing creative and technical talent that are producing wonderful things. Mm. We're not so good at the entrepreneurial side. We're not so good at the selling side, and things like ASO. Um, and thinking about how to find your audience, that's where we fall down. We make great games and they, we struggle to have them sell well. And that ultimately means we don't get to make better games or we don't even get to make more games. So that's, that's a big challenge. It's interesting. I started this podcast last year and talked to a lot of different people. One of those people was Russell Douglas, who um, is exec of Exalter and a million other things. But Russell was saying basically the same thing you just said, which is as um, I was going to say as Scots, Scotland generally isn't that great at sort of marketing itself and, and getting out there. And it's interesting seeing that theme run across all of Scotland's technology businesses. And then how do you think for, from a games perspective, we can change that and make things, you know, a bit more well-known? I mean, I, I think, we, you know, we've, we've got a couple of people that um, excel at it and, and are great for everyone else to, to look up to. Um, Chris van der Keil is, is the, the, the obvious one. Um, and I think it's really important that people have got someone that they can see, oh, that's, that's how it's done. That's how you sell something. That's, that's how you be positive about opportunities. Um, so I think we need more you know, figureheads and, and, and you know, more, more people to, to set an example. Um, but I think we've got to drum it into everyone. I mean, I know when I was a kid, I always felt selling and making money and asking for money, they were like dirty words. You know, it just, it feels like we've got something inherently in us that says, oh no, as long as we build something amazing, then it just deserves to do well. I deserve to, 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 to get, make a living out of this. I, and ideally, yes, but it's just not how things work. And I think we just need to tell ourselves and tell the next generation of developers and entrepreneurs coming through, look, that's not how it works. You need to go out there and sell. You, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, you know, sort of grubby, um, yeah. distasteful end of selling. Um, but ultimately, the, the thing everyone needs to remember is if nobody knows about my game, nobody will buy it. Mm. And I think we often like to think of games as and this isn't to say that they aren't, but creative pursuits, right? Things that we do because we love building games and playing games and the business side of it, much like a lot of arts, I suppose, comes much, much later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, it, it, it is the natural way of doing things. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to, um, to figure out how to make great games and then to learn the business side. That's more well-established. You do get people come the other way that are, are great business people that then learn to, to make games. But th- that's a harder way to come at it. So we're, you know, we're, we're fairly well positioned, um, but we've got, to, we've got to accept and then be willing to take the steps to 
learning those business skills and also just spend the time on it. Most mm. people in this industry, they want to they wanna do the creative stuff. They don't want to fill out forms for grants or speak to PR people about marketing plans or or to, to, to spend hours poring over um, SEO rankings. I mean, that's not why they got into the industry. Um, but they have to realise it's what it's what will keep them in it. Mm. We've got a long heritage of games in Scotland. I mean, I I think The Lemmings was probably one of the first games I like knew was a game, if that makes sense, um, yeah. that, that I was playing. And I remember sitting at a friend's computer and, and playing The Lemmings and then finding out many, many years later that it was a Scottish game. And obviously Grand Theft Auto, um, Rockstar, which comes up a lot during these conversations. You mentioned Minecraft earlier and Ruffian was involved with Halo. We, it's funny, I think, because as a whole, we tend to think of places like Los Angeles as the game like hubs and the game makers. And if you know, it's very much a sense of like if you want to make it in gaming, you have to go to LA, maybe Seattle, somewhere like that. What makes Scotland so good, other than the shit weather, for for making games? <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very good point about the weather. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, one of the things historically. Um, was that the Sinclair Spectrum was made in, in Dundee. Mm. You know, so the this, this story goes that lots of them fell off the back of a lorry leaving the factory and, and you know, Dundee ended up with a, a higher proportion of, of people with spectrums and looking for something to do on them. Um, you know, we got one one Christmas. I don't think that fell off the back of a lorry, but um, <laughs> uh, you, you were conscious it was made in Dundee. And that I think there is something about that, you know, in the same way that it's important to have... Um, uh, you know, people to look up to. That it, it just makes you makes it feel so much more possible. You know, I know um, Chris Vanderkyle himself has talked about the reason he got into the games industry was because he was looking up to Dave Jones, who um, ran DMA Design that made Lemmings, mm-hmm. um, and seeing Dave driving around Dundee in, in Ferraris, and it made Chris go, "Oh, maybe I can do that as well," um, and he. And he has, by quite some margin. Um, so I think that's, you know, having sort of local reminders and that, that you can do something like that, I think is really important. Um, uh, and, and I think um, I think there is a, there's a trade-off with, mm. you know, Scots, we, we, we do have this, you know, slightly introverted personality that stops us being as good at, uh, uh, salespeople as perhaps the folk from Seattle or, or LA um, and it means we're putting our attention into the creative and the technical aspects so arguably we're, we're, we're making better games mm-hmm. but we're not telling the world about it so we're not getting the credit for it mm. um, because the the, the, um, the Seattleites or whatever you call them are um, doing a better job of, of bigging up themselves, so they're getting more of the credit. So th- there's there's definitely a trade off there. But I, I mean, again, you can you can force yourself to talk more, to yeah, get out there more, go to more conferences, albeit not at the moment. Um, write more articles, big yourself up more. That's that stuff we can learn. People that are just not that creative or not that technical, they've got a a far longer and harder journey to try and suddenly become creatively or technically brilliant. So we can do this. Do you feel like there's a, a maybe a mindset shift too that needs to be overcome or 
taken um where we look at games and studios as needing to have say in-house marketing people it's, it's something that i've noticed a lot around indie games they don't tend to have marketing teams whether they be one person three people ten people you know yeah they, they, and you can see it from their point of view they're they're, they're going oh but it's an expense and yeah, yeah we've only got five slots you know and we've we, you know we've got to make the game um and it's and it's and it's tough. I think you you can get by without dedicated marketing people. Um, mm. However, I think you have to take marketing seriously. So I think to do absolutely nothing is a massive mistake. Unless you've got someone else lined up behind you, you know, a publisher signed early on, um, and you know that they'll do the marketing. Um, in which case, you can get away with, with with not doing anything. But I still think it's a mistake. And even if you can't afford to, to have anyone dedicated to marketing, I think the whole of the rest of the team then has to take that on board and do bits of it themselves, you know? Um, and it, it, it's quite possible, you know, a lot of it will fall down to the producer or the, the, the CEO of the, of the company. But um, if, as long as they can empower people, then, you know, anyone in the team can and should be able to, to, to do little bits here and there, people can can do talks at conferences. People can produce, you know, little snippets of, of the latest feature that they've, they've designed, and you can put that out on social media. So I think the the key thing is they've got to realise that for their game to succeed, they've got to allocate something to marketing. It doesn't have to be money though, but if it's not money, it has to be time. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about the publisher relationship because I think one thing that's been really interesting across all of the entertainment um, industries, and I was talking to a, a band about this yesterday, is you can essentially create something, put it out yourself, and you can cut out the publisher, whether that be like a record label, a games publisher, a book publisher, that kind of thing. Um, being able to do that obviously means that you take on a whole lot of extra risk, you take on a whole lot of extra work and all of those kinds of things. But do you see the relationship with publishers changing or is the threshold to get in with a publisher higher than it used to be with there being, you know, millions of indie studios out there now? Yeah, it's, it's much higher. I mean, um, just, just because the, 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 the sheer, um, the sheer accessibility. I mean, now it's, you know, anyone can make a game, anyone can form a team. It doesn't have to be full-time. You don't need an office. You don't need, I mean, back, back when we were doing design, you, you know, we needed um, silicon graphics machines for the artists. I mean, they were they were 50 grand a pop with a, a license of, I've forgotten the name of the software, but it was another 20 grand. I, I mean, it, you know, so that was a, a high barrier to entry. So if you'd, if you'd reached that barrier, you were then one of a relatively small number of developers that a publisher could then sign. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas now people can get a Unity or a, a, an Unreal license, you know, work online with a bunch of people across the globe with very, you know, with virtually no overheads other than their time and produce something amazing. Um, so the publishers have got to sift through thousands of you know, really promising looking games. Um, so it is, it is, um, it's harder to get a, a, a game signed in many ways, but equally because those barriers have also come down for publishers, there are more indie publishers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're getting into all these niches that we spoke about earlier. 
Um, and they're having to compete with each other. So the, the, the terms you typically get from most publishers now are better than they've ever been before, despite it being harder to, to get signed in some ways. Um, so you are seeing uh, most developers um, have a, quite a strong case to be able to keep their own IP, which they never used to be able to do. You know, revenue shares um, are much more equitable. Um, everything's much more transparent. Um, you know, so I think it's it, it's improving as an industry, and it, and it's partly this sort of d- d- democratization of of the of the tools and the accessibility, and it's also the the expansion of the market. The fact that the numbers are going up um, uh, in terms of the number of players, and that it's broadening out. So you've got you know you've now got publishers that specialize in in narrative games and in simulation games and in pixel games and in, you know, so if you've made one of those, you can immediately go to that publisher and you've got a far better chance than just pitching one with, with whatever, you know, concept you come up with um, that might not be a good fit for them. Mm. We often, it's interesting talking about publishers and that kind of thing, because I think we don't often enough think about games as like an export industry you know i was talking to um brian from the games network about this for this week's episode and i was saying in new zealand our three main industries are like tourism dairy and tech i'm pretty sure it's in that order and tech will come up and swallow the others over time but we have much the same cultural uh, challenges, I suppose, as here in Scotland, which we don't really like to talk about the stuff that we do that much, even though we're doing some really cool and really popular stuff. In terms of exports and things, there's obviously big international partnerships, but do things like Brexit have a big impact on this industry and how this industry can evolve and you know become more, or provide more rather economic value to Scotland? I mean, Brexit... <laughs> I mean, my, my take on it is that, n- no, it's not had a massive impact to date. I mean, yes, there's impacts. The main one is is um, getting attracting staff. You know, now if we, you know, if we want to hire the best talent from, from Europe, um, it's it suddenly got a lot more difficult in the last couple of weeks. Um, there's other implications around, around data and things like this, but when most of what we're selling is now digital, um, you know, if Brexit had happened when the industry was predominantly dealing in physical goods, it, it, you know, there's more complications from that. Mm. But it's really just that the you know the big AAA games that are published by the massive publishers that are that are uh, boxed copies these days. Um, the vast majority of what comes out of Scotland, for example, is is digital only. You know, um, and even something like Grand Theft Auto, although that's physical as well, the vast majority of the revenue is, you know, comes from the digital side of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, you know, we'll wait and see. But, yeah, certainly Brexit's not, um, you know, and the same as COVID, neither have had anything like the impact on the games industry as they have on, you know, the fishing industries or whatever else. You know, we've, we've, we've been lucky enough that both our production side's unaffected because we've all always been geared up so we can just go home and work, um, uh, albeit often for unhealthy reasons, but it's come in mm. handy with COVID. Um, and then the sales side's been unaffected, you know, the demand side, because everyone else is at home and looking for things to play. So... With, with both our production and sales side unaffected, the games industry in, in Scotland's in, in great shape at the moment. 
it's always weird to say, or even though it's true across a lot of the tech industry, that COVID has been uh, good for for us. You know, I mean, if more people are playing games, the Nintendo Switch sold out everywhere in the world during that first lockdown. Like, it's just one of those things, right? It's yeah, obviously we, horrible, but at the same time, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, any one of us would 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 you know, if we could, would wind the clock back and 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 you know, not have COVID, mm. um, but with any change, you know, comes opportunities, you know, some, some, some businesses suffer, some, some prosper, um, as it happens, um, COVID has been good in that respect for the games industry. Although, I mean, not, not equally across the board, the, the ones that have benefited the most have been the biggest games, you know, they have yeah. been the Grand Theft Autos and the Fortnites and the Minecrafts, because that's what people think of the, 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 the niche indie games, um, I think you know most people have seen an uplift since COVID, but it's maybe in the order of 10-20%, not the 100%, 200% that some of the bigger games have seen. Um, but you know, with over, arguably with overheads going down, you know, a bunch of games companies are doing away with their offices, at least temporarily, um, and sales being even up a little bit, it, it's a net benefit for the industry. How do you think we can get the industry to have more of an economic impact? Uh, this is kind of a double-barreled question, as I say it, um, and be taken more seriously in Scotland. And I'm thinking about that not in terms of game developers and, and the work that you do, but in terms of things like we have a massive statue of Walter Scott. Um, we love theatre here, and film and television are sort of the the Scotland staples, right? But there's no reason games should be among them. Like, I shouldn't be, rather. So what do you think we need to do to, to get that over the fence? Well, you know we've got lemming statues in Dundee, don't you? No, I haven't been oh. to Dundee. I've been stuck inside for the past 12 months. <laughs> oh, get, yeah. When, when you're allowed out, get yourself up to Dundee. There, there is a, um, there's, there's a couple of plinths um, up the, the Perth Road in Dundee that have lemmings little bronze oh, lemmings crawling about all over them. So wait. get yourself up there. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that we've got little things like that. I, I mean, it does come back to the earlier point about us shouting more about our achievements. It's a little bit complicated with, you know, with Grand Theft Autos, obviously, the you know, Scotland's biggest games export. The fact that um, Rockstar are historically, uh, you, you know, very quiet in terms of talking about the, you know the development in Scotland. They don't really engage with the rest of the industry. Mm -hmm. I, I think is it, you know has caused problems from from that respect. Everyone thinks of it as a as a New York product, you know, because that's 100%. where the, the the headquarters are, you know. Um, so that's that's a shame. But equally, it's their prerogative, you know. It's you, you know they can do what they want. Um, it would be nice to see the 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 team in Scotland get more. Uh, more credit for that um, uh, and that would certainly help but I think the rest of us just need to shout more we need to we need to get out more we need to talk at more conferences we need to we need to find reasons to do press releases rather than find reasons not to mm -hmm. um, um, and, and just be proud of, of, of what we're doing you know um, and it's just not devote so much time away from the creative and technical side that we start to suffer at those disciplines, but just devote a little bit more away from it, <laughs> you know, because there's, there's probably an 80-20 rule at 
play here, you know, where we can we can do twenty percent of the, the 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 effort in terms of that sort of biz dev and promotion, but get eighty percent of the benefit. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think you know game company CEOs across the country, if they just go right, I'll spend a day of my week, twenty percent on biz dev promotion marketing. That's probably 20% more than they're spending at the moment, but they would see a phenomenal increase over the longer term. But equally, they've all got short-term goals and challenges that they're trying to hit. It's, it's not easy. You can't just suddenly magic that extra day out of, out of thin air. Uh, but most other industries just have to do it, and we have to accept that as an industry as well. That's awesome, Colin. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. It's been really good. No, it's been great to be on. Hello again, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Colin McDonald and our own Sebastian Mackay. If you'd like to keep up with what Colin is up to, you can follow him on Twitter at ScottishColin and you can find Rivet Games at rivet-games.com. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's going to be the first of a few like this from Seb and then many, uh, let's hope, going forward in the same format. So as always, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, Please let us know what you think. You can do so on Twitter at Scottish Games or you can go to the website at scottishgames.net and go to the little convenient contact us tab and you'll find the web form to fill in there. And please give us that sweet, sweet feedback we so dearly crave. Um, Another way you could do that, which would be absurdly helpful, would be to rate and review us, especially if you're gonna do that on iTunes. Um, yeah, or, you know, just, just share it, share the podcast on to your hundreds and thousands of social media friends that you most certainly have as an esteemed listener of the SGN pod. Um, but for now, that's going to do us. So speak to you again soon. And in the words of Brian, stay cool and groovy. Bye bye.